my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The true God, one in three, and three in one. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Ever shall be world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him.
the true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him. Give testimony unto those that thou hast possessed from the beginning, and raise up prophets that have been in thy name. O Lord, hear the prayer of thy servants, according to the blessing of Aaron over thy people. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek thy good. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Give testimony unto those that thou hast possessed from the beginning, and raise up prophets that have been in thy name. O Lord, hear the prayer of thy servants, according to the blessing of Aaron over thy people. The Old Testament lesson for this 18th Sunday after Trinity is written in the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, beginning at the 12th verse. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? to keep the Lord's commandments and statutes, which I command you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven, the heaven of heavens, and the earth, with all that is therein. Only the Lord had it a light in your fathers to love them, and he chose their offspring after them, even you above all peoples, as it is today." Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God, he is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and the awesome, who doesn't respect persons or take bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and widow, and loves the foreigner in giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the foreigner. As you were foreigners in the land of Egypt, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, you shall cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the first chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians, beginning at the first verse. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God which is at Corinth, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all who call the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in every place, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God concerning you, for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. 
so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you until the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Peace be within thy walls, and prosperity within thy palaces. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, O Lord, deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy, and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding, that I may know thy testimonies. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. The Pharisees, when they heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. A second likewise is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, Of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word. Neither did any man dare ask him any more questions from that day forward. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, in our pews today are many generations of Lutherans, and many of you, not all, but many of you have been Lutherans for most of your life. You were catechized and confirmed in your youth. And if you go and talk to the various generations that have been confirmed in the, in the Lutheran church, what you'll find is that every confirmation story is kind of different. For each generation, confirmation was different. Of course, what they all had in common, what they all shared is that you were catechized in the scriptures and in the small catechism, and you were confirmed before the confirmation, before First Communion, or in most cases, before First Communion. The differences in confirmation between the generations usually comes in how you were examined in the faith 
before being confirmed. The older generations, those of you that had the old, stodgy, stubborn German pastors, were probably examined and asked questions about the faith before the congregation, before God and everybody. And you had to answer his questions, most likely, from memory. You had to stand before God and everybody and answer Luther's 20 questions correctly with no aids besides what you had learned by heart. But over the years, things have softened. Eventually, confirmands, well, some of you might have been given a piece of paper with the answers on it so you could read the answers out loud. And some would be examined maybe privately, answering questions with the pastor or elders. And then it became a little more relaxed. Maybe it was more of a conversation with the pastor about the catechism. And any questions then that you answered before the congregation, if you were examined privately, any answers you gave in confirmation were probably just simple yes or no answers of some sort. And in some places, we often wonder if confirmands are examined at all nowadays. Of course, you know, it was tough with the old German pastors. We Irish pastors, we're more kind, aren't we? I let you, I let you uh, be examined by the elders in private while I sit by your side. So see how much more kinder I am. My catechumens don't believe me. That's okay. Anyways, much could be said about the changes in confirmation over the years, but we know why it's softened. Because no one likes to publicly stand before others and speak, especially from memory. Because even if you have the answers all memorized, your nerves can get to you, especially when you're before people. It happens to the best of us. And that happens even when you're standing before your pastor, your family, and your congregation. They all want to see you do well, and still the nerves can get to you. It's tough. But something like this happens today in the gospel with our Lord. He's put in this situation. He's asked a question about the faith. But the thing is, those that are watching him are wanting him to slip up. They want him to get the answer wrong so that they can discredit him, maybe even have a reason to kill him. So this is a way worse experience than any of you experienced on your confirmation day. And that's what happens in our gospel to our Lord. Our gospel starts out saying, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And it sounds like a rather simple question. After all, there are ten commandments. But if you look in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, what you'll find is, yes, there's the ten commandments, but then also hundreds of other commandments after those. And then in those days, you had the tradition of the rabbis or the Pharisees, and so there were hundreds more commandments on top of those commandments. And so many men, if they were asked this question in front of others, would have stumbled. You'd have to think through all the commandments of the Torah. You'd have to think through the teachings and different traditions of all the rabbis. And then maybe you could give a decent answer in front of God and everyone. In this case, in front of your enemies. It wasn't necessarily an easy question. And that's the trick. That's the trick of their question. It sounds complicated. But at the heart of it, it is simple catechesis. 
And it's funny that they should ask our Lord what is the great commandment when it's our Lord who really spoke in Deuteronomy. And he gives the same answer here as he did in Deuteronomy today. He, he says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Well, think back to your catechesis. You know what the right answer is. If you would have been asked in front of the pastor and everybody, what is the greatest commandment, you would have said, you shall have no other gods before me, which means we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That's the answer Christ gives. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We should love God. And with all your soul, we should fear and revere God. And with all your mind, we should trust God. It's the same answer. The words are just a bit different. So what you were catechized on and what our Lord answers are the same thing, which is why the explanation to every other commandment, by the way, is we should fear and love God so that. Because the first commandment is the greatest commandment. Everything is built off of that. So that's the Lord's answer. You know this from your catechesis. But then he goes on with his answer. He says, and a second commandment is like it. You shall love, the, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you're catechized, that's the second table of the law, commandments 4 through 10, about you and your neighbor. And what our Lord is really saying is these two commandments are the sa two sides of the same coin. These two commandments are the greatest commandment. And then our Lord tops off his answer with this. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, which means when you confess the greatest commandment, as you were catechized to do, you are confessing the entire Old Testament. All those Old Testament stories that you learned at home, in church, and Sunday school are confessed in this greatest commandment because all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So, so far in the gospel, we have a great confirmation question and a great confirmation answer. What is the greatest commandment? Well, in short, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And it sounds so simple. In a way, it is. But here's the thing. Our Lord agrees to this answer. We agree with this answer. We were catechized in it. And the Pharisees agree with this answer. But the catch is, our Lord and the Pharisees understand this answer in different ways. The Pharisees hold to this answer, but when they hear we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, what that means to them is that's my path to righteousness. If I can perform the right works, if I can show God that I fear Him, if I can show Him that I love Him, if I can show God that I trust in Him, if I can do those in my works, then He will need to reward me with eternal life. This was their path to eternal life, was doing this commandment. So they hear this greatest commandment, which they hold dear to them, and they answer, this is how I will make myself righteous. And so the Pharisees live this out. They hold us to a strict way of life to carry out this commandment and to carry out all the other commandments that are built off of it, and to carry out the traditions that they think are built on top of this. 
And so when they live, if you ask people how they live, they would have said the Pharisees are pious in how they use God's name. They go to synagogue or to the temple every Sabbath. They show everybody how wonderful their wife and children are. They show how they tithe. And really they show how much more righteous they are from others who don't do those things. That's how they were seen as so much more righteous than others, than your average man. And then, as the Pharisees think they're fulfilling this greatest commandment, if you were to ask them on the Sabbath at the temple, will you go to heaven, they would say, of course I'm going to heaven. Look at all I've done. Look at the kind of person I've been. I tithe. I look and just look at my family, how they're together. Look at how we keep the traditions of our people. Of course I'm going to heaven. What they'd really be answering is, look how I've kept this greatest commandment. Look how righteous I am. And that's how our flesh wants to answer too, isn't it? To look with pride at all we've done and accomplished in this life. To look with pride at all the people that we've helped out. To think of how well we've kept all the rules. And then that thought creeps into our head too. You see, I'm a good person. So of course I'm going to heaven. But here's the problem with that answer, or with that thought. You know that if you would have stood up here on your confirmation day, if you would have said, yes, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, you would not have been confirmed that day. Instead, your pastor would have shaken his head and said, you need another year. Because that's not how you were catechized. And that's not what our Lord means by his answer. That this grace commandment is the way to your righteousness. So to clarify his answer and to show that he and the Pharisees mean different things, he asked them a question. Jesus asked the Pharisees saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Now, if the Pharisees were right, if the greatest commandment is a way for us to earn our own righteousness, then they should have been able to answer the question about to come up. They could answer this part all right. Yes, he's the son of David. After all, they proclaimed their faith was the same faith with that of David and the prophets. They wrote the Old Testament, so of course they say, our faith is the same as that of the prophets. So if they understood the law as David and the prophets did, then they should also understand the Christ as David and the prophets did as well. And so far they answer correctly. The Christ is the son of David. But our Lord doesn't stop there. He goes on. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your footstool. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Now there's a division, or the division is at least revealed. You see, it's one thing to believe that the Christ is just an heir of David, to believe that he will be no more than a king to be raised from David's lineage, to take command of the Israelites and overthrow the Romans, to dominate the world with strength in some sort of messianic age. Because if that's all the Christ is, 
It's just a man that God will raise up to dominate the world. A man who's your flesh and blood, who will also raise you up. If that's who the Christ is, then you don't have to humble yourself. You don't have to repent. You don't have to do anything like that. Instead, the Christ, this sort of Christ is your, your king, your friend, your buddy, who will give you all you deserve in your righteousness that you believe you earned. So, of course, they can say he's the son of David. But what does it mean then when David says that his son is also his Lord? What does it mean if the son of David is also the Lord, if he is God, if he is the son of God? If you believe that the first commandment is the way to earn your own righteousness, then what use is it to you if the Christ is the son of God? Again, if if the son of David was just a mere man that could defeat the Romans, that'd be great for you if that's what you believed about the greatest commandment. Because it would confirm you in your own righteousness. But if the Son of David is also the Son of God, then that kind of Christ makes no sense to you. And really, He's of no use to you. Because He'd be greater than you. If the Pharisees are looking to earn their own righteousness, they don't want a divine Christ. In fact, they'd hate such a divine Christ. They do hate the divine Christ, which is why they become silent. They think they make themselves righteous, and because they think they're righteous on their own, they don't want a Christ that is divine. They don't think they need such a Christ that is greater than them. And so the question again, if David, if then David calls him Lord, how is he How is the Christ his son? Well, here's how. Because David, like all the prophets before and after him, they heard this greatest commandment. And as he hears this greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind. What David sees is not his own righteousness, but his own sin, whether that of Uriah or otherwise. And seeing his sin, David knows this, that he has not feared and loved and trusted in God above all things like he should. He knows what he deserves, which is guilt and wrath and death. Here's that greatest commandment, which then points him to look at his promised son, the Christ that was to come from his flesh. And so when he hears that greatest commandment and he sees his guilt, then he sees his son What he also sees is his Lord coming down in the incarnation. He sees his Lord coming down to take his flesh from that of the virgin. He sees the Lord coming down to be under the guardianship of the the other man of his flesh, Joseph. He sees his son and Lord living the perfect life of fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things. The perfect life of faith. That's what fear, love, and trust in God is. It's faith. He sees his Lord living the faith which he, David himself, could not live out. He sees his Son and Lord then going to the cross, having having lived that perfect life, then going to the cross to face the punishment of his own sin and shame, of David's own sin and shame. Go read Psalm 22. 
David wrote that psalm about his son on the cross, his son and Lord going to the cross and taking his place, taking the wrath of God which he deserved, dying the death which should have been his. David sees his son and Lord go and die for him and then also rise for him. That's what Psalm 23 is about. Yeah, it's about a shepherd keeping, tra- keeping or loving his flock, but it's also about his resurrection, how the Lord in his resurrection loves his flock. He sees his Lord rise for him. He sees his Lord risen, having the enemies of sin, death, and the devil put under his feet. And he sees how his Lord cares for him. David writes Psalm 23, David writes Psalm 23 seeing how his son and Lord forgives him with his blood. How his son and Lord gives his perfect and complete righteousness to him. And David sees that now, now that he is forgiven in his son to come, now that he is living in the righteousness of his son and Lord, in that righteousness David knows now I can fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That's what Jesus means when he speaks of the greatest commandment and when he speaks about the Christ along with it. That's what all the law and the prophets depended on in the greatest commandment. Yes, all the law and the prophets depended on loving God above all things. It depended on that because they knew that that law, that greatest law, could not make them righteous. And it depended on that because it was that greatest commandment which then pointed them to Christ crucified who does make them righteous, who does make you righteous. And they know it's by the power of the Spirit that connects them to Christ and creates faith in them so that God looks at you and credits you with all righteousness, credits you with living perfectly because of Christ. And this confession of David, what David sees is your confession as well. This is how you were catechized. We see this in how the church, look at the colic this morning. You were catechized and the church has you pray this. We pray to our Lord for as much as without you we are not able to please you. That is, we pray, Lord, separated by you in sin, we cannot in any way fear, love, and trust in you. We can't have faith without you. Lord, we need your Son crucified to forgive us. And then right after this, the Collect has us pray, mercifully grant that your, that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. As if to say, Lord, the only way we can become righteous, the only way we can perform this greatest commandment is if in the water and the Word you give us your Spirit. If your spirit unites us to Christ, if your spirit gives us Christ's forgiveness, if your spirit clothes us in Christ's righteousness, only then will we fulfill the greatest commandment. Only then will we have faith in you. Only then will we fear, love, and trust in you. That is what all the law law and the prophets depended on. This greatest commandment for repentance and to point them to the Christ. That's what David looked to. That's what we look to. That's what the Pharisees couldn't see. But that's what Christ teaches here. And that's how you were catechized and confirmed. And so then we've heard this greatest commandment this morning. We've been given faith by the Spirit in the waters. Now then in a bit, let us commune together in this fear, love, and trust in God given to us.
Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all things keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O God, forasmuch as without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you, so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, 
show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen.